Hi everyone, welcome to Better Homes and Dungeons. This week, discussing decorating the place, how to tie it all together. Sorry. And tying it all together with me is Greg. Greg, um, who are you? What, what, what do you work on? Uh, well, uh, hello everybody. My name is Gregory Lent. I publish as GM Lent. Um, and... Uh, so far, uh, my main claim to fame has been the Zakara materials, uh, alchemy materials that I've been producing on the Dungeon Masters Guild for the last uh, year and change. Cool. Um, to, to kind of, I guess, give people who are not as old as you and I, um, what is Alkadim? Uh, Alkadim was a second edition advanced Dungeons and Dragons setting uh, that was based off of the Thousand and One Nights, the Arabian Nights uh, stories, um, uh, Sinbad, Alibaba, um, a number of the most famous stories, of course, were added by European translators centuries after the rest of the stories were written. Um, but uh, they had the wonderful idea to take all of those types of stories, uh, that kind of swashbuckling, um, who knows what's going on, and unusual uh, problem-solving, unusual encounters, unusual situations, and translate it into a Dungeons & Dragons setting. Uh, I absolutely adored it, uh, since it's always been part of the Forgotten Realms. Uh, we're kind of squeaking it into the Dungeon Master's Guild under the banner of the Forgotten Realms. Oh, nice. Um, if I recall, and I think you and I had a little chat last year, um, there was actually a video game based in the Alkadim setting. Um, the Genie's Curse, I believe it was? Uh, that is correct. I never played it, but that is the oh, name of the game. Really good. Yes. It, it was really good. It was, it was a really... It was kind of like, what if they did D&D, &D, but it's a really early form of Diablo. And... But you never really had a class. You were just, you know, pirate. And it's like, okay, this is cool. And, and you had a cool magic talking ship. And you uh, actually had to go to like, you know, all the elemental planes and talk to the different forms of genie they had. It was really cool. That is a more in-depth description of the game than I've ever had before. And frankly, it makes it sound far more appealing. Um, I've never been much of a video gamer. So uh, that's... Uh, Possibly how I missed it on the first go around. I think it was also in that time when um, wizards were doing a lot of licensing. Like they also did their their Dark Sun thing as well. I think around that time, and Dark Sun Shattered Lands was like it was my introduction to the realms like around Dungeons and Dragons. If that makes sense, like where they just suddenly just go, all right, you see this rule book, yeah. <laughs> Over the shoulder. Right. We're going right. to do shit differently now. And I thought, I like Dark Sun. Uh, although speaking as someone who lives in a country that might start to resemble that realm more and more. Right. <sighs> <Quite. laughs> oh, well. Um, Greg, how long have you been playing d and I, I, sh I should ask. Um, a good long while, not as long as some. Um, my role-playing game career really started when my mother bought me the Middle-Earth role-playing game by uh, Rollmaster back 
this would have been 1992-ish, and I couldn't make heads or tails of it at all. Um, it was dense. It was, I didn't even know what it was. Uh, about eight or nine months later, a friend of mine purchased uh, the Earth Dawn first, edi first edition, which was the first role-playing game, game I ever actually played. Um, and really, the bug bit me at that point. Uh, it was another year and a half after that, so this would have been 1994. Four ish uh, that I first played Dungeons and Dragons, and as it happens, the first time I played it was in the Dark Sun campaign setting, um, oh. which uh, was one hell of an intro to the game. Let me tell you. What, what, what did you roll as, if you if you remember? <laughs> I played a Thrykreen Psionicist Ranger, um, and uh, it was loads of fun because a lot of the time the DM would just have me roll, and if I hit, I was just totally destroying whatever came along. I didn't even roll damage because, you know, it's I was sitting there packing like a 22 strength and God knows what else. So uh, they, I, uh, it was pretty I, over I, the top. I do remember from the the video game, Thrykreen were ridiculously baller. As um, like they were very <laughs> overpowered because I think that I think they get like three attacks. They'd get a venom a venom attack. They had like this throwing weapon attack, um, and as the psionicist, you had the disintegrate ability, which is like, yeah, these, um, these are unfair. <laughs> well, um, you're remembering slightly incorrectly. It's a well that may oh. have been the game um, in the. Uh, role-playing game in Dungeons and Dragons, you in fact had four attacks plus the venomous bite attack. You could also jump. I don't remember how far, but it was ridiculous. Um, you had the special thrown weapon. They had their special pole arm. I mean, it was it was all over the place. As it happens, most of what I threw in uh, combat was the party halfling um, because uh, he and I worked out a tactic where I just pick him up and bowl him effectively uh, right into the middle of the battle and he basically always got his ass kicked but it was loads of fun and, and that's what we're about really yeah I, I, I always I, I'd be honest like I'd love to see a Thrykreen I'm sure someone's done a Thrykreen homebrew somewhere um, they uh Oh, I'm, I'm confident. Um, the uh, interesting note on that, though, the, uh, the, the graphic design, the visual design of the Thrykreen uh, changed, changed pretty dramatically in 3rd edition. Um, if you look at some of the older artwork, uh, they were much more insectoid, uh, described mm. as standing about 7 feet tall, but about 11 feet long from head to the end of their uh, thorax, uh, not thorax, whatever, whatever, the, whatever you call the think I think... I think it is the thorax because the abdomen's the middle bit. Right. Um, but I, I'm not a um, entomologist. That's the one. Right. Me neither. Uh, no. But starting in third edition, they got rid of the whole thorax or the, the, the big booty part. Um, and if you look at any of the artwork from or since that point, they stand up straighter and just generally look less bug-like. It was an interesting change. Yeah, because I remember I had a um, I had an old uh, second edition monster manual, which was a it was I had both the original one, which had a big red dragon on the front, and I had like an expanded one, which was really chunky, and it had Thrykreen in there. Yes. Um, and yeah, they they looked like huge praying mantis dudes or ladies yes. actually, because most of them were actually women. Right. Yeah. So I mean, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um. 
Yeah, I man, that's really cool. That is something of a blossom of the past to me because I I always liked Dark Sun, and I know that's something that a lot of people bring up. Like, right. I think it's a tie between Dark Sun and Spelljammer is the next thing they want Wizards to bring out. <laughs> I am so terrified of Wizards bringing out Spelljammer, it's not even funny. Um, oh. Spelljammer is my second favorite campaign setting of all time. I absolutely adore Spelljammer to pieces, uh, largely because Spelljammer really dove into the uh, unapologetic goofiness of Dungeons and Dragons um, mm-hmm. and uh, didn't really shy away from going really all out with, you know, giant space hamsters, for example, um, and things of that nature. And I really liked that everything in. I loved the what if uh, physics as understood by the ancient Greeks was actually the way the universe worked approach to it. (laughs) Um, Different layers of it. Um, There's a lot of talk these days of replacing aspects of it with other things and, you know, subbing in the astral plane for the space between the crystal spheres and things like that, which I'm not as big a fan of. So if they do it, I hope they do it my way is the takeaway there Uh, or keep it consistent with the older materials might be a better way to put that. Well, you can always homebrew that in. Uh, That's true, but it's a lot easier when it's right there in the book. I mean, it doesn't matter. I'll buy it anyway. So yeah, whatever. That's true. I mean, I I don't think any of us would look a gif horse in the mouth. Exactly. Yeah. Gif. That were great. Yeah. 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 Um, Um, so uh, one of the reasons I, I, I did want to have you on is, aside from the fact that I'm a complete goof who can't keep his life together, um, you have more than one or two products uh, on the DMs Guild, if I recall correctly. Yes. Uh, I have somewhere in the neighborhood of, uh, it's more than 15 anyway, um, with my name on them. Some published, uh, some written for other people. Um, but, uh, more than 15 that just, yes, I've put out. Excellent. Uh, a few coppers, a few silvers, uh, sorry. And the, and the silver selling midnight in the city of brass, which, um, you sent me a copy of to have a bit of a look over so I could get a bit of a handle on what we'd be looking at. And it's really cool. <laughs> I think it's you. a really cool campaign setting. I, I quite like it. Ah, thank you very much. <laughs> I also I, think it's... Oh, sorry, sorry. I, I won't interrupt after you. No, I interrupted you. I apologize. Oh. Um, yeah, I... I like the idea of moving away from the Eurocentric model that we see in Forgotten Realms all the time. Right. Um, this being said by someone who is currently running a homebrew um, Curse of Strahd, but he's a Railway Baron and a, and a Margrave campaign... Um, like, yeah, at some point I want to run something in the Southlands of Cobalt, or I want to run probably something from what you're doing with Zakara because I want to hear more of these stories and I want to, I want to learn more of these stories because that's at the end of the day kind of what we're about, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, they're fantastic stories to boot. Yeah. So I'm... Um, you, okay, you, you say you've written for a whole bunch of people. Are we allowed to name drop a little bit? I, it doesn't bother me, um, and given that you can look almost any of them up, um, I don't think it's giving away much in the way of secrets. Yeah, okay, cool. So you've written for Cobalt Press. Um, That's correct. What, what did you write for them? If, if Yeah. 
Uh, I have had a couple of regular series of articles on their website. Um, I uh, started out, I did a couple of their regular types of features, their, uh, um, oh geez Louise, the uh, successive encounters one, I can't believe the name of it's escaping my, uh, oh, uh, I can't believe the name of the article series is escaping me. Uh, but at any rate, it's a, it's an encounter that leads to another type of encounter. Um, actions, you know, encounters have consequences. You beat people up, their friends come after you, that sort of general idea. Um, so I did a couple of those sorts of things, and then I was offered my own uh, series. Um, so for the last two years, I want to say, um, I've put out uh, two separate series that, uh, one of which I developed, which is called The Sorcery Stop, and another which I kind of just picked up and ran with called Cult Activity. Uh, Sorcery Stop is just kind of an examination of magic um, and how it would work in the world, in the real world, if you will. Uh, <laughs> and Cult Activity is... Uh, pretty much just monsters and ideas. The Sorcery Stop is very player-focused, the cult activity is very DM-focused, and that's been the distinction, really. Okay, so, so when you say um, things like how magic would work in the real world, um, it, that's the kind of thing that makes me think about the, the peasant railgun that I've seen discussed on... <laughs> so, <laughs> so to... I, I just so, want to say now, Tyler, no... <laughs> Um, no. <laughs> to, oh, so, so to clarify, it's not yes. even really, when I initially started it, my idea was focusing on, uh, more common people type magic, not real world. Of course, this is Dungeons and Dragons at the end of the day. Um, but, uh, more common people type magic, it, it, it went away from that a little bit. Uh, but for example, I had a, uh, a hedge wizard background um, hmm. was one of the first things that was developed for it. Just you know, your your village, your village person who has some little bits of magical ability, but you know maybe isn't quite uh, cutting the mustard as a uh, full caster or even with a feat hmm. type okay. of situation. Um, I've there've been you know what ten of them. 12 of them since then. Um, so it's covered quite a bit of ground. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Warlock, so I have a bunch of Warlock subclasses. Uh, at one point I wanted to make a Snake Cult subclass for Warlocks that wasn't evil exactly. Um, and okay. so uh, a bit of research, uh, I stumbled across an Egyptian deity called uh, Wajet um, and based the based the concept, the patron of that subclass off of this uh, Egyptian snake goddess who was more of a fertility and uh, growth deity than the destructive type of evil god we tend to see associated with snakes most of the time. Well, I mean, the, the, there's a thing there because, I mean, the, the Greeks had the, um, what was it, the Romans had the Caduceus. Right. Which is the universal symbol we still use for medicine today, which is the, the stick with the two snakes on it. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, so, that's, uh, I appreciated the opportunity that I had, uh, still have to an extent, I suppose. I'm talking to them now about where I'm going to go with them uh, from here um, to just develop ideas like that, take things and run with it. You know, looking through some of the Kobold setting, the Midgard, uh, their world book, um, the last bit that I sent them um, involved the centaurs 
in the planes um, and some uh, new options for that sort of thing. So that should be showing up here in the next uh, couple of months. Keep an eye out. I, I will, man. Keep me <laughs> updated. I'd, I'd really be, I'd really be quite quite keen to have a bit of a look at that. I'm, I, I have, I don't know how many times gone on record and said I love almost everything. I say, let me rephrase that. I pretty well love all the Cobalt Press stuff that I own, which is right. like an intro to the Southlands and to Midgard. Yes. Um, I bought a Humble Bundle and it had some of their adventures like Cat and Mouse, Sanctuary of Belches, Last Gasp. Absolutely. Yes. But it had like a little intro to Midgard and Southlands and I just read it and I thought, this is the shit. <laughs> um, I, uh, I uh, Wolfgang Bauer is a childhood hero of mine, if you will. I, I think I think I need to get him on. Um, the uh, he's uh, 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 an Alkanim supplement, actually written by him, "Secrets of the Lamp," um, which, as you might imagine from the title, is all about genies. Uh, is the single most used role playing thing I have ever purchased. Uh, that supplement has seen use in every single campaign I have run since 1995. Um, okay. That's pretty good. Midnight in the City of Brass draws very, very, very heavily from that book. That's cool. That's really cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'd love to get him on. I've got a, a couple... This is not to, I guess, um, tempt fate too much, but I've got a couple of other people from COBOL um, that have got lined up to have a bit of a chat to me about some things. Um, but at some point, I should really, really reach out to him because um, he did a lot of work on Margrave, and the Margrave stuff is yes. it's it's good and it's proper dangerous. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, it's, I, it's very COBOL pressy, yes. Uh, yeah, like, that, that's the thing I kind of like about them. Like, when you read through the... Um, the Midgard book, not the world book, uh, Midgard Heroes book. Right, yes. Um, it's got, like, extra attack options for almost every weapon. Yes. And I really like that. Like, part of me thought, oh, is this bloating this a bit? Is this making this a bit too complex? Um, and then just kind of going through it, it's like, no, 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 this is good. This is I want, I've always wanted this kind of thing in my game because it's a good little, little addition that comes in adds some flavor and adds a bit of stuff to things, but doesn't make anything stupidly overpowered. Absolutely. Which... And, it, and interestingly, I don't know about the content in the Heroes Handbook specifically, uh, but the guy who wrote a number of articles for Cobalt Press uh, dealing beyond damage dice, um, where the mm -hmm. articles he wrote, uh, some of them been made into books, uh, was uh, James Hake, um, who was the editor at uh, N-World, the, uh, or the Insider, the uh, N-World magazine, where I actually got my start publishing uh, back a few years ago. So uh, oh. it was uh, it was pretty cool seeing uh, James Hake uh, taking off and running with uh, Cobalt, and he's writing for D&D Beyond now, so I guess he's doing yeah. all right for himself. He, he had a really, really cool article that was all about a, um, a different way of doing starting stats based right. on your background and the class you want to play as, um, as opposed to just racial ones. And right. I really liked that. Yes. I, I thought, you know, next thing that I run, I'm probably going to say, guys, this is, these are the rules we're using. Um, right. Knock yourselves out. 
it reminded me a lot. Um, if you're familiar with Dungeon Crawl Classics and their funnel, um, where yeah. the the the, the, <laughs> the Dungeon Crawl Classics, it's another retro clone, um, but it starts your characters as zeroth level, and you make like ten of them at once. Because the reason it's called a funnel is because basically whatever character you have that survives that initial adventure becomes your first level regular PC. Um, and uh, it, what class you end up with, etc., depends on what sorts of things you do over the course of that funnel adventure. It's fascinating. Um, it's a great little intro. And that article by James Hake seemed very much to me like um, accounting for that funnel technique before your character hits first level without actually running the funnel, if you will, um, because it's very similar to that in the way y your skills and what have you, different things come from your background choices um, as opposed to just rolling dice and ending up with whatever stats you end up with. Yeah, or, or using the 27-point buy and then right. realizing, hey, wait a second, I don't want to play a half-orc wizard because that's suboptimal and... I'm yeah. I'm in a group of four players and three of them are power gamers. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, now, for me, I'd go with the half orc wizard anyway because I think that's just a great concept. But uh, and, yeah. and you know, with the nice caveat that as your half orc wizard, you could probably still clunk somebody on the head pretty hard anyway. So yeah. if you needed it, to, it, it it does make me think. I I if I recall, the rules for savage attack are an additional bonus damage dice on your crits. Um, for melee attacks, is it, or any attacks? I don't actually recall offhand, so... Okay, because <laughs> I'd, I'd definitely give one for, like, say, something like um, Shocking Grasp or something. I'd be like, you really grasp them. <laughs> you right. grasp them somewhere where they do not want to be grasped with Shocking Grasped. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Sorry, I, I had a joke that I walked away from, but I think everyone will be able to make that in their own heads <laughs> and have fun with that. Um, I, I imagine her. <laughs> something with it i'm not sure fun's the right word there but uh well look people are into what they're into that's, and that's, uh, you that's know, fine exactly i'm not meaning to shame anybody here especially not on this show with its title no <laughs> um now you have uh in the notes you gave me you said you have five or so more products in the pipeline for is that this year or well, uh, there are four that, God's willing, will be out this year. Um, the first is Adventures in the Land of Fate, uh, which is a campaign guide to Zakhara. Uh, mm -hmm. Basically, uh, a refiltering of the uh, Alcadim campaign setting, if you will. Um, it's uh, not quite done yet. Um, it's looking like it's going to be in the 250-page range. Um, when it's finalized and the layout's all uh, out and done. Um, it was supposed to be out late last year, and then we were approved for print-on-demand with it and realized oh. that the book was nowhere near good enough for a print-on-demand title. Um, it has, since then, uh, more than doubled in size, and uh, it is a radically... It's, I'm very happy with it. I'm very excited about it. Um, the, the goal with it is to allow people to bring... Uh, Al-Kadim and the, the themes and stories and whatnot into their 5th edition setting without trampling on any of the 2nd edition material. So if you're somebody like me, who still has all of the 2nd edition Al-Kadim books, uh, box sets and whatnot sitting on your shelf, uh, you'll find many uh, 
fond memories tucked within the pages of our works, many uh, nods to small bits and things that are buried deep in those box sets, but I'm not uh, overruling or advancing or uh, interfering in any way with what's already there or any campaign you may have been running for the last 30 years. That, that is pretty cool. And there's definitely going to be a bunch of people out there who have got these books and still like just kind of flip through them I, I would I would say absolutely affectionately. Like I I can remember, I don't know how many times just rereading and rereading the old second edition um, advanced D and D player's handbook, um, the one with the guy on the horse with the sword in the air. Oh yeah, that lunatic. Um, and it was I mean they were, they were great books just to read. And if you're saying look, we're we're taking steps back to make sure this is the good stuff. That's a that's a really strong design statement, dude. I, uh, one of the things that I always really liked about Al-Kadim, um, Zakara, is it was always explicitly part of the Forgotten Realms from its very first publication. It was part of the Forgotten Realms, mm -hmm. but it was always kind of outside the realms. Uh, the Zakharan calendar was never given an equivalency for Faerun, um, so there was never a canon point saying this happened in Zakara at the same time this happened in Faerun. And I like that flexibility because what realistically that could mean is if you still have all your old Alcadim stuff or perhaps you buy it because you buy my book and you're like, wow, this is great. I want to read more. Every single bit of it could be current to right now, the current date in the Forgotten Realms because there's nothing that says otherwise except for the Wikipedia pages that are written about it, um, which assume <laughs> a date of, I think, 1387 or something just for the purpose of continuity, but it's they even make a note in those Wikipedia page, those wiki pages saying there's nothing in the canon materials that gives this. This is just a point of convenience. But my real goal with that was uh, not getting all meta plot y since there never was a meta plot. There was never uh, there were lots of story hints. There were lots of what's going on with this kind of thing. Um, and I didn't uh, see any reason to answer those questions uh, with one kind of exception that was uh, necessary for bringing the setting uh, to modern sensibilities. But I'll leave that as a uh, secret that people can find out by actually reading it if they feel the urge. Oh, okay. Man, that sounds pretty fair. <laughs> um, I mean, sp speaking of modernizing things, um, one of the things that... Uh, we did have a question on um, from from Jacob, who is on the the, the podcast that I run. Um, one of the things he asked is, you know, when when you look at design tools, the, these modern design tools that we now have, which ones do you generally use to design adventures? Um, the single most useful design tool that I have ever come across in the entirety of my life since 5th edition came along anyway is the Kobold Fight Club. Um, because when you want to, uh, the website, which if you're not familiar with it, become familiar with it. Uh, it's, of course, it's a Kobold Press thing, um, and it's more Wolfgang Bauer magic as far as I'm aware. But okay. literally what this site does is it takes every monster in the official monster manual, all of the official adventures, all the kobold adventures, all the kobold expansions, um, the primeval thule campaign setting, a bunch of other stuff, they're all in this database and you just sit here and, and you sit there and say, well, I have four characters and they are of third level and mm -hmm. I want to put 
10 ogres up against them. Is that going to be a hard battle, an easy battle, whatever? And all of the encounter math that is um, fairly simple in 5th edition, but especially when you get into the multipliers for having multiple foes and uh, characters of different levels and what have you, it can be a little overwhelming. This site does all of it. Every single bit of it. And I, it just... I, I will confess, uh, and I apologize for interrupting, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it now and I'm thinking, yeah, this? Because there's about <laughs> a million challenge rating calculators on the net and this one looks like it's like, okay, any alignment, any environment, any, it's like, oh, okay, all right. Fil I'm... Fil filter it however you want if you just want. The one thing that I wish it had on it that it doesn't would be an SRD only monster uh, filter. Um, that's not one of the filters it gives uh, working with OGL stuff. That's something that would be really useful. Um, hmm. But honestly, it's a fantastic enough tool that I'm not going to be quibble with it on that one tiny point. Uh, SRD stands for? SRD. Uh, that's the System Reference Document. That's oh, okay. the... If you're a publisher, creator, what have you, um, you pretty much, and you're doing 5th edition stuff, you have two options basically. Mm -hmm. uh, you can publish on Dungeon Masters Guild and that gives you access to Wizards Intellectual Property. Um, there are some limitations to it. Uh, for example, no Spelljammer at this point, uh, even though a Spelljamming Helm literally appeared in one of the 5th edition products that uh, Wizards of the Coast produced. Um, yeah, I, the, I think uh, I remember when they brought that out, I think I remember reading people like, yes, we're getting it! Yes! It's, so we have spell jamming. We have spell jammer rules now. It was a very slick way to get it in there, but the um, uh, with a couple of exceptions, setting wise, um, you have access to virtually everything Wizards of the Coast or TSR ever published, mm -hmm. um, and you can use it, pull it, and that's Dungeon Masters Guild. Um, okay. That is a great website. Um, if you're not interested in using Wizards IP, they have the system reference document and that pretty much lays out what you are allowed to use um, as far as the nuts, bolts, and bones of Dungeon Dragons 5th edition is concerned if you are publishing outside of that paradigm. So if you're publishing on Drive-Thru RPG, for example, or your own website or anywhere else you want to go, um, the system reference document tells you what Wizards of the Coast items and bits you can use. There are gray areas, especially when it comes to earlier system reference documents. Uh, I had mentioned the Primeval Thule campaign setting earlier that uh, came out um, in, uh, I want to say, 2015. Uh, it's a fantastic setting um, that uses the third edition open game license to mm -hmm. recreate what it needs to recreate to create a campaign setting for 5th edition. Um, okay. it's, an, it's an interesting thing. But at any rate, that's what the SRD is, and it would be great to have a filter on the Cobalt Fight Club that just gave you the monsters included in the SRD um, instead of having to double-check that against something else. Yeah, um, I, I, I did get a, um, a module... Um, that I, I'm going to be integrating in one of my games where, and I'm not going to give anyway, out any details because, you know, A, I, I suspect my players of listening to this, or at least I know one of them does. Right. In fact, I can name, I can name most of them. Um, <laughs> and, and I don't want to give away surprises for them, but also people who listen to my campaigns, almost stuffed at there, Zugai. Um, 
and it was pretty well, all right, what we've done is we've copied this very popular creature from Dungeons and Dragons, called it something different, and made it a little bit different. But you can look at it and go, yeah, guys, um, I know what you did here. <laughs> right. But this is really cool. This is really cool. And I like it. So uh, I'm not mad. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, hey, I, I can't be mad. This is really good. <laughs> we we see some of that sort of thing. Uh, some of the retro clones do that. Um, one that I'm particularly fond of has... Uh, there are a few monsters that, if you're not publishing on the Dungeon Masters Guild, you are expressly forbidden from using that are uh, Wizards Intellectual Property. Um, Mind Flayers, Beholders. Uh, there's, uh, there's one that's kind of weird. I think it's the Rust Monster. Um, but there are, there are a few things that, they that remain uh, Wizards Intellectual Property, and you're not allowed to use them. Uh, they're very explicit about that in the uh, SRD and in all of these things. The open game license, the SRD. Um, I have seen uh, mind flayers with the serial numbers filed off. Um, I have seen beholders with the serial numbers filed off. Um, all of these different uh, expressly, purely uh, Dungeons & Dragons monsters that are still very much protected uh, intellectual property by wizards. It's, yes, I see what you're doing. It, it, it's a large, I'm, I'm bulbous creature. It. It's a large, bulbous creature called a watcher. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it has a bunch of eyes, and they all shoot different rays. Um, <laughs> this is <clears throat> this this is a brain eater, and it blasts you with psychic energy and then uses its three tentacles to eat your brain. Yes. 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 This kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say, I think mind flayers are gonna make a real big comeback. I mean, they're they're they're, they're bastards, and they've been bastards from since day one. Um, but they were featured in the Baldur's Gate three trailer, right? That I've watched many many times, and I've thought, well, that's probably gonna make me upgrade my PC. Um, <laughs> good, <laughs> right? Yeah, um, they, they they knew what to do to get me. I mean, and it's being made by the same people that made Divinity: Original Sin two, and it's like, yeah, that game was, that game was Dungeons and Dragons with a really cool dungeon master, who, okay, there's a, there's a feat in that game you can get which lets you talk to every animal in the game. Okay. And they have scripted conversations for every animal in the game. That sounds time-consuming, but and incredibly really, cool if you do it. They are really good. Yeah. Um, and there are even a couple of quests where... And look, statute of limitation of, of spoilers and whatnot. Um, you can talk to all the puppy dogs, and they're all, they're all good boys and good girls. Of course. Um, there is a shark you can talk to that is connected to a conversation you have with a couple of kids, and it's a bit of a... Oh, oh, that's not okay. Um, you know, a little bit of a content warning there, so I'm, I'm not going to go into detail. Sure. But also, on the first island you go to, you meet a crab. And she says that she is such and such, the all-powerful, she's going to destroy the world. And if you fight and kill her, there is another crab that you meet much, much later on, and you say, oh, yeah, that person, I killed them. And that crab will give you a shield. And so, 
it's the kind of game made by the kind of dungeon master who knew what you were going to do and was ready for your shit. Right. Which which just made me feel great because I, I tried many, many things to see. Ah, oh, let's see. If, oh, wait. You, oh, you did. Damn. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah. All right. Well, you, yeah. Get, you get that kind of setup. You push the limits. Absolutely. All right. What happens yeah. if I talk to this tree then, smartass? Oh, the tree's talking to me too. All right. Well, somebody saw me coming. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're, they're not a great conversationalist. They're kind of wooden. <laughs> You're welcome. That that is that is literally the kind of humor my players have to put up with all the time. Ah, you know what? It's fine with me. Yeah, I, I mean, I I set you up for it. Come on. Yeah, that's, that's true. Um, so I mean, okay, so Cobalt Fight Club that that looks like an amazing little tool for for combat encounters. Um, what other kind of things do you use when you're putting something together? Like, do you have like you know like a, a spreadsheet of like plot lines or anything like that? Uh, yes, sort of. It's not a spreadsheet. It's actually a Google Doc now um, that I share with my best friend of 25 plus years, who is also my editor. Um, and uh, <laughs> we both go in and stick things on it. And sometimes it's, uh, you know, fairly straightforward stuff like, what about gelatinous cubes, but underwater? Um, which isn't really, uh, which isn't particularly... Um, novel i suppose and sometimes it's and sometimes it's hey what if we take bits of earth dawn and bits of the uh jules verne um and bits of uh, apocrypha um and bits of dark sun and wrap it all into a type of setting where you can still run any garden variety baloney you want to um but if you want to buy into this larger craziness then that's an option as well um that's a bit of a uh teaser for an upcoming campaign setting that's not going to be out uh this year hopefully next um <laughs> is when we'll we'll start uh, actual uh hardcore uh not hardcore but firm development on that and the way we want to uh produce and market the uh stuff for that one but um yeah um so it's spreadsheets google docs are great i actually have a note-taking app on my uh on my uh, mobile phone um which is great because it can use voice to text so when i'm driving down the street and uh you know when i'm driving to work i have a 20 or so 25 minute drive to work every morning um and i think of something i can just you know pick the thing and hit the little microphone it's like hey what if we had some kind of rat that actually like burrowed into your skull and replaced your brain um and uh, we do it's that, called an intellect devourer uh it's not quite the same thing not okay. uh, not something that physically goes in there um that actually wasn't my idea i totally lied about that that was my friend's idea um in our book offbeat encounters uh that uh section that involves a uh, village of people who have had their brains replaced by uh these uh rats um that was all him um but it was the first thing i thought of <laughs> just now when uh, i gotta say making is this is is this person a dad as well? Uh, oh, yes. Had they um, been watching Ratatouille? I'm sorry? Oh, <laughs> <Had> been... <laughs> I, you know what? I don't know if he's seen Ratatouille or not. Um, I, so I can't speak for that. But uh, this, no, this, that particular adventure involved uh, uh, trepanning. Um, where, uh, which was a uh, medieval practice. Yes, I know. Familiar of, <laughs> I, yes. Um, I am. 
<laughs> so uh, where you would take a, a little uh, hand drill, drill a hole in somebody's head to let out the evil spirits or what have you. But in this particular case, instead of letting out evil spirits, you were letting in a uh, kind of a psychic rat. Um, and so you end the, uh, you come across this village uh, that pretty much has a swarm of these things. Um, yeah, that's the kind of fun stuff you find in our offbeat encounters. <laughs> Okay, then that's that. That sounds like it'd be a cracker. Now, um, one one thing I I'm I'm gonna be I'm instituting now, um, as the person that runs this podcast. Therefore, I can do kind of almost what I like. Um, Greg, as far as self care goes, what what do you do to make sure you don't burn out? <laughs> it's it's kind of you to assume I haven't burnt out. Um, the. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> You can uh, laugh, which is usually a pretty good sign you're okay, although it's not uh, perfect. So, so what do you do to take care of yourself, yeah. dude? So, and and I guess I also don't want to trivialize any struggles anybody else is uh, having. Um, you know, I, I have my bad days, same as anybody else, but I'm in pretty good shape, all things considered. Um, the, in many ways, the the writing, the working on the Dungeon Dragons is therapeutic for me, to be perfectly honest. Um, I've been a storyteller um, my it, it, for as long as I can remember. My mother will, uh, will could regale you with stories of the uh, stuff I came up with when I was three and four. Um, I have a six-year-old who does the same sorts of things, and uh, particularly working in conjunction with my six-year-old. Developing game stuff is largely what keeps my brain working, keeps me sane, if you will. Um, I've never... I've never hit a point where I felt I ran out of ideas. I have quite the opposite problem. I, uh, I, I have more ideas than I can easily write down, let alone develop. Um, so, I don't know how to not overdo it. Um, might be a takeaway <laughs> there. Um, uh, self-care I, I, I brush and floss every day does that count I think so I mean I, th I think anything that takes that is you consciously putting effort into taking care of yourself even if it is what many would call the basics like you know washing occasionally sleeping right. um, it's, it's part of what we do and I guess the, the reason I'm wanting to put this in is because Partially because I am not great at taking care of myself perfectly all the time. And mm -hmm. like you, I tend to overstretch because I'm yet to find out what... Ha well, no, look, let me rephrase this. I know what happens when you put too much caffeine in for too long. You become an <laughs> asshole. Or I do. Um, right. But it's also one of those things where it's like I want to try and do every stupid, weird, crazy, silly thing, amazing thing that my brain comes up with. And... I mean, to a degree. Um, and so finding ways to make ourselves, you know, keep ourselves healthy or, or as healthy as we can, I, I don't, I think is a good kind of thing to bring into conversation. I am not a good person to discuss that with because I frankly never worried that much about it. Um, now, since I've had a child, I have worried about it a little bit more, um, but I've always been very much the type of person where if the mood struck me, I would just stay up for, you know, 30 hours straight working on something because I tend not to really get tired if my mind's occupied with something. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, what, what, what people can't hear is the facial expression I made just then. I, c I can see it. I can see is, it. Which is, 
a res- it, it, it's a mix of awe and horror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that uh, is. Yeah, like thirty hours. Um, that's the longest stretch I ever spent working on anything. That was actually a few years ago. Um, I had mentioned before we started recording, I was in a band for a while, not a particularly good one, um, but uh, I was in a band for a while. And at one point, um, less five or 10 minute spaces where I had to use the bathroom, eat, um, or you know, go from one person's house to the house next door. It was pretty literally 30 hours I spent just focused working on uh, some of the band stuff so it went had to get done that's pretty fair cool um excellent uh look greg to to throw things out there where should people look for and buy your work well, the easiest place right now is uh, Dungeon Masters Guild. Um, if you look under my name, GM Lent, um, you will find all of the stuff that has my name on it. Uh, you could also just search for one of the titles, like, say, Midnight in the City of Brass. Um, pull that up, and of course, if you click on my name in there, it will also lead you to all of the stuff I have on the site. Excellent. Um, and for people wanting to follow you on Twitter, I think it's just GM Lent, if I recall correctly? Uh, that is correct. At GM Lent, um, I started, uh, I joined Twitter back in, I want to say, 2012. Didn't look at it again until uh, 2018 or 19. Um, and I've been particularly active in the last several months. Um, but uh, yeah, the more the merrier. Um, <laughs> Excellent. Cool. Well, um, everyone, we're, we're going to leave this uh, interview there for two reasons. First of all, my lunch break is going to be up any minute, and uh, I've actually got a meeting with a colleague in this exact room in about four or five minutes. <laughs> so, um, Greg, thank you very, very much for giving me your time. Thank you very, very much for everything you've said. Um, it, you, you, you're a pleasure and an honor to talk to you, man. Huh, well, uh, thank you very much for having me. It's been uh, lots of fun chatting with you as well. And hey, who knows? Maybe we'll do a follow-up at some point, right? I think we will. I oh, hope so. All right. Cool. Well, you have a good night. You too, man. Cheers. <laughs>